This is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Next Tsunami podcast. This weekend, we are offering five conversations from our coverage of NASHTAG 2023, plus the discussion that Jorn Schottenberg, Histoindex Chief Scientific Officer, Dean Tai, and I held about Histoindex's zonal analysis of fibrosis, which you can find as part of Episode 2 for Season 4. This conversation with Naeem al Amy Articolo, and Jorn Schottenberg starts with Naeem running through some of the high points of the meeting, the resmeterome data, and then proceeding to the improved obeticolic acid data after reanalysis, and mentioning that, as he puts it, there is plenty of room for us to improve drug therapies. Jorn commends Naeem's comments and also notes how engaged academia is in supporting development through the consortia Nimble and Litmus and the data they presented here. Amy also notes the collaborative spirit of the meeting and comments on how far we've moved in understanding how best to utilize NITs to provide insights that serve the needs of the patient. <laughs> Not surprisingly, I go to a different place. The thought that payers will be the challenge, but now, the idea that we have some early clues from Inventiva and others that ALT analyses and adiponectin may help us identify patients who are not benefiting from drug therapy. I then link that idea to the slides Naeem showed from Histoindex around AI-driven zonal analysis, the same slides that Jorn and I talked with Dean Tai about in Episode 2, and those will give us a geographic view of how to combine agents. Amy agrees that some of the complex analytics will help pharma build its case for patients. Naeem questions what we call futility. If patients stay the same, he asks, are they futile? He suggests that AI can help us determine whether people who do not reduce fibrosis are in fact benefiting from therapy anyway. Listening to Naeem, I note that he outlined three patient categories. Patients whose fibrosis regressed, which is success. Others who progressed, which is failure. And a third group, somewhere in the middle, we don't know how to define yet. He agrees and notes that with non-invasive tests we have today, we can learn far more than we know already about that third group. Amy questions how we will use the test practically, noting that stack tests are pivotal to the story and what we can do today. And as the conversation ends, Jorn notes that biopsy is only one way to generate a conditional endpoint for drug approvals, nothing more, and maybe not even the best way anymore or in the near future. NASHTAG 2023 was a watershed moment for fatty liver disease, the place where exciting drug development readouts, powerful academic work on non-invasive tests, and the willingness to dive into the toughest questions aligned in a meeting that Scott Friedman described as being like drinking out of a fire hose. So just sit back, listen, enjoy, learn, ponder, listen again if you need to. And when you're done, join the conversation in our LinkedIn discussion group. Name Alkuri. It was a very positive meeting, obviously, when you have positive results from a phase three program that adds a lot of energy. And this is what we had with the Resmeterum Madrigal program, the Maestro Nash results. The press release happened in December, but this was the first time we were able to see some of these slides and share the results. So just to recap, it was a Nash resolution in 30% with the high dose Resmeterum significantly better than placebo. And then fibrosis regression by one stage and no worsening in Nash in 26% again, significantly better than placebo. This was even better than expected because in the phase 2b study with resmeterone, there was no clear signal on fibrosis, but also not a surprise because we've seen a lot of the non-invasive test data, including in patients with cirrhosis and reduction in liver stiffness on MRE and fibroscan. And there's a biologic explanation for the improvement in fibrosis, but it was good to see it in a phase 3. So that generated a lot of positive energy for the entire field. And then also 
they come back with Intercept and the fact that they replicated the same interim analysis data now with consensus pathology, we have a little bit more granularity also on uh, what subset of patients are responding to albedocolic acid. The response rate is better for patients with F3. So that's also good because in my mind, this is a medicine I always envision to be used in patients with more advanced disease just because of the adverse events and just lower tolerability due to pruritus. But we definitely need uh, something for patients with F3. And I felt like there is room for everyone to add to these results. So the results are great, but uh, obviously with response rate between 25 to 30%, all the other biotechs are still in the game. And I think they have now that energy that they need to take their drug to the next level. So I'll stop at this. I mean, many other things happen at the meeting, happy to talk about, but I'll stop here so others can add their take on the meeting. That was already very comprehensive, Naeem. That was very comprehensive. Thank you. Amy, or you were in highlight of the meeting. One personal moment, Naeem did a fantastic job. One personal moment that grabbed you is where, where you said, wow, this is really great, or I didn't know this, or I know what we can do with this. Jaren Schattenberg. Just to add a little bit, we were reminded on how strong academia is uh, involved in this field at this time too. Uh, well, there were a number of presentations around nimble litmus, upcoming consortia, including Goldmine, Nail NIT, where I think in addition to the strong data that we see from the advanced disease stage, advanced stage clinical trials, uh, there is a strong consortia in academia that support this. And I think it's that combination at this time that really drives a change in the field and then makes very optimistic that we get to a point where we, A, move beyond the biopsy, have validated biomarkers and ones that are linked to outcomes. That was my special take there. Amy Articolo. Well, I think both Naeem and Jorn have hit the hot ticket, if you will, of what really was captivating about NASHTAG. So first, I would totally agree the spirit, the energy, the passion, and really the true collaboration from academia all the way through to industry and policy change makers is so key at this event. It gets lost sometimes in other types of uh, venues, and that's what's so special about NASHTAG. So kudos to the organizers and all of the participants because you bring it and it is absolutely heartfelt, if you will. What really struck me as someone representing industry is just the great dynamic discussion around NITs and how to enrich NASH trials, particularly as when I first started a couple of years ago, we were still focused so much on the transition from liver biopsy. And now I think the dialogue has certainly reflected the advancements of the field in looking at how can we work together collectively. So I appreciate both Naeem and Jorn's comments about the true collaboration and the spirit of doing this together and being able to enrich trials so that we have the right patients and the right evidence to present at the for the regulatory authorities, how we can change, if you will, or optimize our approaches and protocols on clinical trials so that we can, again, keep patient safety first, always keeping the patient-centric, which is very much in line with Nova Nordis thinking. And how can we really start to address some of the issues that are currently in the field, particularly around NASH diagnostics and NASH diagnosis? Because we know that from Michael Charlton's excellent end-of-the-year review and the discussions that followed, thinking through the different ways to get engagement and rise the urgency of NASH as a disease, which may or may not have a name change soon, but thinking about which NITs make sense, which ones are going to be reflective of diagnosis, prognosis, and potential treatment response, and which ones are going to be used to reflect pharmacodynamic effect. And so to me, it was extremely vibrant discussions. And my takeaway was this is fantastic. You know, we're really making some effective change in the space that's going to impact patients from here till the future, particularly with let's hope that we will see therapeutics in the near future. That's great. And I'm going to give an answer that comes from a slightly different place. One of the questions I put on our agenda notes for today was where's the dark cloud in the sky? I've thought the dark cloud forever was payers. Well, I still do, but not necessarily. 
necessarily in a bad way because the most realistic question payers are going to ask, which is, how do I figure out who this isn't working for before I've paid for 18 months of it, is not only a question payers are going to care about, but frankly, it's a question we all should care about. Nobody wants to give anybody a drug for 18 months that isn't getting you anywhere. So I, I thought when Inventiva showed up at ASLD with that first adiponectin data, that was really exciting. And I forget who it was who put a adiponectin data around a second drug, Stephen talking about ALT. The idea that we can give drug to patients and figure out relatively quickly who is getting benefit and who isn't, I think makes this whole proposition more viable for patients who have to take the drugs and for whoever's paying for them. And I think that's great. I mean, you put up some of Stephen's slides from the breakfast at meeting at ASLD about regressors and regressors and zonal analysis with second generation uh, harmonic convergence from histo index, which Jorn and I actually interviewed Dean Ty for yesterday's episode on this issue. But between that piece and the specificity we're now able to get into with that with NITs, I think we can do a better job over the next couple of few years of figuring out which drugs go to which patients and how drugs work together better. And if we do that at the one end and then at the other and start to figure out quickly for whom drugs aren't working, we've made this a really attractive commercial proposition. We've made it a really attractive proposition for patients and we've gotten this field jump started. To me, from beginning to end, it all looked good. Yeah, I think I agree, Roger. I mean, payers, and that was part of the fireside chat where Amy was so part of the steering committee, need to get into the discussion and need to agree to what we generate for evidence that they link this. And I think the response biomarkers are important or non-response biomarkers. And I know Novo has also been thinking about this. It could be that for different MOAs, we're seeing different markers. So that's also important to be remembered. This is not one size fits all. And it's something that will come out of these combinations. I think most of the phase three trials will have an answer for us along that line. I mean, not sure you want to want to add to that. Yeah, 100% agree. I think that that's something we certainly are exploring at Nova Nordis too, which is not only are we looking to demonstrate the efficacy, safety, tolerance, and mode of administration that will be optimized so that patients are able to benefit. You know, and I think I'd mentioned this in the panel that it's it's clinical benefit and I'd love the collaboration with academia and across different industries of how to make that happen, but it's also about clinical utility. And that, Roger, I do think plays very much into the discussions with payers. You know, what will be needed from their their optics in terms of demonstrating value as well as the change over time. And that's something too that I felt was discussed at NASHTAG that maybe we didn't address, you know, in the past so much and has highlighted quite a bit, particularly around the advancements on non-invasive tests in the sense of, okay, not only are we talking about pharmacodynamic change, but also the delta of change, because that also is going to have value to demonstrate to the payers about why this matters. Why would they invest and why would they look at foundational treatment and beyond? because it will reflect the pathophysiology of the patient, whether they're what would be the expected progression or a more rapid progressor, as was discussed. So certainly, I think there's opportunities for these optimized NITs or however we're going to call them that is going to, if you will, cascade to the top and will certainly have relevance according to guidelines, implementation, and clinical utility uh, for the field. I'm listening to you and I'm realizing I have a hope. Without getting into the politics of it, frequently when you use a two-word phrase, the first word is only necessary because of where you're coming from. So we talk about NITs, but in the context of patient clinical therapy as compared to drug trials, they're just tests because biopsy isn't a realistic option there. So we're, at that point, I'm not thinking about non-invasive tests. I'm just thinking about best tests. It will be a focus shift that we all need to make. Naeem, I thought your comment about biopsy being dead in clinic, but non-clinical trials, or, or exactly, I forget exactly how you said it. I thought it was dead on. And if, if that's the case, then we should just be thinking about tests that happen to be non-invasive. Yeah, I think this is a very important discussion. And uh, one point I want to highlight is what is 
utility, right? Because the bar is set too high by the FDA and the AMA, requiring histologic endpoints within 12 to 18 months. So futility, we need to be careful about this word, because if people did not respond based on this histologic criteria, but we are seeing improvement in ALT, liver stiffness, other biomarkers, maybe pro-C3, then we cannot say that this is futility. I think futility should be only the patients that progressed in the clinical trials. This is probably not a good medicine to stay on, but there's that category of patients that stayed the same. And we really need to tease out these patients and figure out maybe utilizing things like histo index, other, you know, AI, machine learning, pathology techniques. Who are the real, maybe non-responders versus people that are responding, but we're just not capturing the response on the traditional histologic interpretation that we are utilizing. But this is important because in the context of this disease, you cannot say a medicine is futile after 12 months just because someone didn't reduce fibrosis from F3 to F2, or they didn't achieve that NASH resolution definition, which is so arbitrary. And with the NASH resolution, you can go from an AFLD activity score of 8 to an AFLD activity score of 3, but still have one on ballooning, and you are labeled a non-responder. That's not the right way to approach this. So I think we need to come up with the consensus of what futility is in the context of a phase 3 clinical trial based on histology, dig deeper into this. And I agree, it's very important not to stay on the drugs longer than you need because you also have opportunity to go on other drugs that might be more beneficial to a specific patient. Uh, But we also don't want to jump the gun too quickly and maybe lose some beneficial effects of specific drugs just because we didn't capture it on a repeat liver biopsy. Okay, so first of all, spoiler alert, I've got probably two of the perfect people on the podcast to have as I say this because I'm going to turn to Naeem and Amy for a lot of help on how to get this done. Naeem has been after me for a year to bring payers into this podcast. I haven't done it yet because I couldn't figure out exactly how to do that and what to do it for, but I think we're there now. So I'm going to look to Naeem and, and Amy to you and to other folks I know who are talking to payers about who to bring in and how to bring in and how to move this conversation to that level because that has to happen. And Naeem, you make a really interesting point. You almost describe three responses to therapy. There's a positive response, there's a futile response, and then there's a third response, which is somewhere in the middle, where we don't know yet what the benefit will be, but we can be confident that the things that tell us it's failing haven't happened. I just had that thought for the first time listening to you. No, I think you're absolutely right. You have these patients that did not progress, but did not regress. They're still in the same category based on the histologic reading, but a lot is happening. And we can get a glance at this from the AI digital pathology, but also with the NITs. So someone that started with F3 and the repeat biopsy is still F3, but then if their liver stiffness went from 14 to 10 and ALT from 70 to 30 and Pro-C3 from 20 to 15, that's probably someone who's heading in the right direction despite uh, remaining at F3, as opposed to someone where things are not budging or maybe potentially even they're getting worse. You know, the stiffness is now 20 from 14. Yeah, I mean, you can still uh, be read as F3 on a biopsy, but two completely different responses in these two patients. So that's why, you know, the biopsy, I mean, of course, it's the end point for the regulatory approval, but it's not the end of the story. And it's not really telling you the entire picture. And these NITs, now we have clear evidence that they actually tell you about the prognosis. And we're actually getting to a point that we are thinking about designing trials just based on the existing data with NITs. And I think it's reasonable. Of course, that's the whole purpose of the NAIL NIT consortium. And this is the question we want to answer in a more scientific way. But I think the data we have today is looking good for fiber scan, MR elastography, potentially CT1, and even changes in FIP4 index. Maybe not FIP4 at one time point, but at two different times.
time points and looking if they stay in the same category or if there is a change in the category of the FIP4. So yeah, very complex topic. But I think, again, you know, biopsy is is not giving you the entire picture. You have to look at everything. You know, I think um, excellent points and brings me back to some of the discussions that were driven around the NITs. And I appreciate your comment, Roger, about tests, because maybe that's the lingo that we should start adopting, you know, getting out of the specialty realm. And, and when we start approaching others, that will be certainly touching this disease because that's the nomenclature that they're familiar with. But what resonates with me is the power of machine learning and what certainly could hold promise around these non-invasive tests or tests if we're going to rename and their impact and driving diagnosis and then eventually treatment. Are they the same type of tests that will be used to reflect the treatment response? I think that still is remains to be seen. But stacked tests or stacked NITs, as we reference them, will certainly be a priority. Some of the research we've done and certainly just historically in clinical practice, you know, this is something patients also drive, right? That they like the combination of serologic and or imaging tests. So I wholeheartedly agree that's the likely scenario or the reality over the next three to five years in terms of what these tests will look like, how they will be used in clinical practice, and then certainly reflective of treatment modalities. And to your words, Roger, about getting payers in in the discussion, I think it is time for them to start looking at reflecting and thinking about how this is going to impact their business models and how NASH patients are going to fit into the general, if you will, process, particularly with earlier intervention. And certainly, I think that's where these non-invasive tests or tests, you know, as they're going to be used across the treatment paradigm for patients is going to be optimized and and ultimately reflected within their own budgets. So, by the way, my favorite expression, because all the time I used to spend in oncology is liquid biopsy, because... Well, that's that's, uh, familiar to me, too. (laughs) I thought you might know that one. Yeah, go ahead, Jorn. Saying it much more simplistic than Naeem said it, I just remind us that liver biopsy is an endpoint we use for conditional approval, and it's not the absolute benefit, as uh, Naeem highly mentioned. There can be other beneficial things, and the the regulators are well aware of that. And the the maximum that we've seen this effect was when the Intercept got the complete response letter in the first turnaround because they said, well, the overall assessment of looking at histological changes and what comes on the safety side and changes in NITs may be not strong enough to get conditional approval. And I think it will be viewed that way again. It doesn't mean if you have a 10% delta over placebo on liver histology results that only one out of 10 patients benefit. It's clearly a different ballpark and you have to look at safety and other effects that are not measured in liver histology. And now back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episodes from NASHTAG, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com and we'll try to get you some support. We will be back next week. Our topic is in flux due to some commercial considerations, but whatever we do will be interesting, energized, and follow in the spirit of this amazing meeting. Until then, stay safe, surf on. We'll see you on the podcast. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye now.